when we pray, we're joining the voice of millions of people who prayed across time, across time. That's true. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we explore and teach the Bible. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it is a great time to think about God and understand what he's saying to us. Now, Corey and Ryan are here today. Corey? I'm taking a look at Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm and the image of the shepherd in the ancient world. Ryan? Today, my focus is on Psalm 19, which gives us a magnificent presentation of both general and special revelation. What is general and special revelation? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, it's very good, Ryan. I look forward to that. Uh, Janice? Yes, my segment today is called Deliverance. All right, very good. So take your Bible guide. If you don't have one, we'll tell you how to get one in a moment. But take your Bible guide because in five minutes, I'm going to be teaching on this. It's going to be good. Uh, the 20th chapter of Psalms. Let's look. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Psalm 20 Psalm 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23, five psalms. And as we go through the Bible, these are fascinating psalms. Now, that seems like a lot, but it's not because they're short. Now, when I pastor a local church, one of the most frequently asked questions that I received was, why wouldn't God answer their prayers and help them? I mean, come on, God. We often lament or complain when God has not answered our prayers because we do not see his answer. We don't see his answer come while we're suffering. Yet at the same time, we celebrate a God who works beyond what we see. And just because we do not see it or feel it does not mean that God has not or will not do it and answer our prayers. Remember that the Lord knows each situation in every detail and works within the hearts of all involved. God knows the hearts of everyone everywhere our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our acquaintances, and beyond. The Lord always makes his perfect move in his perfect timing because he is perfectly good and he knows the future. When we pray, God saves. When we bring our praises and our needs to God, 
Our prayers show that we care. When we pray to the God of heaven and earth, we're talking to the one who knows the past, the present, and the future. This is really important. Psalms is a book about that. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passages today because we're going to be talking about God saves. And this is from Psalm chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Now keep that in mind because we're going to focus on that. Now I would say to you that if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call us or write to us or go to Bible Discovery TV. Click on the web page or which click on the page which has the Bible guide on it. It will take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And then it will take you to the place where you can download it as we have printed it. So you're seconds away from joining us. But this is important. As we look at this, let's understand that we're talking with the divine mind. And God is going to instruct us and help us in the world we live in right now, in the situations around us right now today. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would help us to see your will. You know, you've called each of us to do specific things. Help us, Lord, as we give our lives to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, let's look at the passage. Let's understand. Here's what it says. Psalms 20, verses 1 to 3. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. It's very important. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all of your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. Selah. That's very important. You see, beloved, when we pray, we join the voice of millions who have prayed across time for God's intervention. When we pray, we join the voice of millions who have prayed across time for God's intervention. God can save our loved ones, beloved. Yes, he can. God answers prayer and he can save our loved ones. Our loved ones may not want to be saved. I understand that. But if we pray for them, and we ask God to begin his work. You know what will happen? They'll begin to shift and begin to change. I'm just saying, that's what happens. We need to keep that in mind. We need to pray for friends. When we drive on the street, cars go past us. Pray for them in the cars. God, get a hold of that person. When we walk in the store or in the mall and we see the person, Lord, help that person. Get a hold of that person. We need to begin to pray for each other instead of, Casting political ideas on each other. We need to pray for everybody because prayer is something that God answers. Very important. All right. Let's read on in chapter 20, verse 4. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all of your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set our banner, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Now this is important. Listen carefully. God's strength and power are delivered from heaven. It's from heaven. We should learn and know the saving power of God. 
I'll tell you something, you know, when we get strength and when we get power, it comes from our spirit and our spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit that comes from God. A lot of people don't talk about this. They just talk about the strength and we hear people say, well, you can't get rid of energy, but you can, you know, hold on a minute. Entropy and all that stuff. Energy from heaven, you can't stop it <laughs> because God gives us that energy. That's what he said. He said, I'll give you the strength you need. I'll help you. Beloved, in this world that's full of sin, in this world that is dying, God gives us the ones who love him, identify him and pray to him. He gives us strength, not from this world, but from heaven. Praise God. All right, let's go on to the last verse because this is important. Seven through nine, it says, some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God, the name of the Lord, our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save Lord. May the king answer us when we call. May the king answer us when we call. You see, the name of the Lord God is important and powerful. The name of the Lord God. We are saved from our sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember in the book of Acts? We'll get there later in this year. But the disciples were commanded after they had the experience at Pentecost. They were commanded, don't use the name of Jesus Christ. Us religious people forbid that. And they said, well, who are we going to please? You or God? I'm afraid that we have to please God. And so they continued using the name. Why, why didn't they want him to use it? Because it was powerful. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation from the anointed. Salvation Messiah. Very, very important. Beloved, we need to hear that. You know, and I know... I want to be easy here, but I know there are groups who try to get Jesus Christ out of all their songs and all of that, but we need to put Jesus Christ back in. Jesus Christ is in our language and we don't need it there as a swear word. We need it there as truth. He is the Lord of all. And I broadcast it across all the stations we carry. It is Jesus Christ who is Lord. Hear and understand that. And the Lord will preserve and keep us. And so, beloved, let's remember that. The Psalms tells us that. Let's remember the name of the Lord our God. It is Jesus the Christ. He is fully God and he is fully Lord. Amen and amen. That's what we pray today. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're going to be happy. You smell like this flower, you're going to be happy. You take this drug, you're going to be happy. You buy this car, you're going to be happy. See, it all tells me I'm going to be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. My purpose for living. So Psalm 23, it's probably the most famous psalm. Uh, it's, it's quoted everywhere. It's on jewelry. I mean, there's, there's bracelets to help 
people memorize Psalm 23. And of course, it's referred to as the shepherd's psalm because it opens up, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, but when we look into the ancient Near East, we realize very quickly that the imagery of the shepherd is not limited to the Bible. It was already a cultural symbol that's utilized in the Bible to help explain God's relationship with his people, which is very cool. It's a very cool concept. Kings are also commonly referred to as shepherds, as we see David not only being a literal shepherd when he was young, but then also talking about how he was responsible for shepherding the people during his reign. So let's take a look at this image in the ancient world. Christianity has found a useful symbol in the image of the shepherd. Our word pastor is from the Latin meaning shepherd, and it's within the common language of the church to speak of this relationship between a pastor and his congregation as the relationship between a shepherd and his flock. Beyond this, the church as a whole recognizes the image of the good shepherd, that is, as Jesus Christ, as king of the church, its ultimate leader. This image of the good shepherd is taken right from the lips of Jesus himself, who in turn was quoting the Jewish prophets of the Old Testament, who in their turn were working off of a popular image in the ancient world. Nearly as far back as written history goes, there exists the motif of kings as shepherds. It was used in ancient Mesopotamia as far back as 3000 BC, the area of the world out of which Abraham was called. The Egyptian pharaohs used a shepherd's staff or crook as one of their royal symbols, and the prophets of Israel and Judah used the metaphor repeatedly. In the world of the ancient Near East, this was an obvious metaphor. The pastoral industry, the raising of sheep and goats, was a backbone of society. From these animals, the necessities of life were produced. Meat, milk and resulting dairy products, clothing from their wool and eventual leather. Their horns were used as trumpets or containers to carry things like oil. And sheep were a means to barter or trade with. Sheep were even taken as taxes in organized society. For example, a hundred sheep a day were provided by the citizens of Israel for King Solomon's household and government. And sheep were a central sacrificial animal as outlined by the biblical Mosaic law. The image of kings and leaders as shepherds in the ancient Near East may also be seen with a bit of irony due to the sometimes stigmatized profession that it was. Shepherds were often viewed as uncivilized, always dwelling outside, away from cities, away from protection. They were necessary, but not glamorous. The symbol, however, likely derived from the special relationship that developed between sheep and their shepherd, including the sheep's ultimate trust of the shepherd and their obedience to his or her voice, sending a protective, nurturing message to help solidify a king's power. Biblically, the image of the good shepherd is taken on by Christ himself. Jesus is not only claiming to be the Messiah of Israel, but her true shepherd king as well. This goes a great way in explaining the early Christian artistic representations of Christ, not only as the good shepherd with a sheep on his shoulders, but also generally with a staff in his hands. This image would have evoked the metaphor of the good shepherd and likely doing double duty, would have connected him as the bringer of the new covenant with the arbiter of the first covenant on Mount Sinai, the shepherd, Moses. I love the idea of not just biblical imagery, but also 
extra biblical imagery, so imagery that's very ancient. It's from the, you know, the ancient Near East. All of that being fulfilled by Christ. I love that idea. He claims to be the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd, uh, that everyone else was merely a shadow of if they fulfilled that role. And, and, and I think there's legitimacy to the idea of kings as a shepherd. It does very much you know, go along with what they believed they were tasked to do, leading their people, protecting them from the wild, uh, domesticating areas of land that weren't previously domesticated. It goes with the image of a king. So very naturally then it follows with Christ, who is the king of kings. Yeah, it's very good. I often recommend that people read the 23rd Psalm mm -hmm. for seven days, three times a day, for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, literally, and ask the Lord to teach them who he is and who they are and what that means. Very good, very interesting, right? All right, well, my segment today is all about Psalm 19, which gives a beautiful presentation of both general revelation and special revelation and how they are similar, but also different. Now, revelation is just a fancy term for God's revealing of truth to us. But if you've never heard the terms general and special revelation before, then this segment should help. So let's go. Although Albert Einstein's theories of general and special relativity were very important developments in our understanding of how the universe operates, infinitely more important is God's unveiling of himself through both general and special revelation. That is, revelation through creation, as well as revelation through his word, the Bible. One of the places in scripture these two modes of revelation are beautifully displayed is in Psalm 19. In fact, in this psalm, there's a very clear division between verses 1 to 6 and verses 7 to 14, which are, by design, placed in juxtaposition in order to compare and contrast general and special revelation. It begins first with a presentation of general revelation, with those majestic and unforgettable words, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The second part begins with an equally memorable declaration regarding special revelation, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. According to this psalm, both modes of revelation are legitimate ways in which God reveals himself, and that is how they are similar. However, as their differences reveal, special revelation is clearly greater than general revelation. For one thing, while general revelation only provides general information about God, the special and written revelation of God's word gives us the specific information we need to know God. So general revelation might awe us with knowledge of God, but special revelation can transform us with the very nature of God. Also, because nature speaks no words, it is naturally subjective and must be interpreted. Though perhaps not evident at first, Psalm 19 verse 3 seems to especially attest to the silent witness of creation, and of the heavens specifically. Indeed, although the New King James Version says that there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, which makes it sound as though the heavens do have a voice, the italicized word where is not present in the original Hebrew. Though added for clarity, many translators believe this word shouldn't be there. Omitting where, as the New American Standard Bible does, gives a very different read. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. In other words, the testimony of the heavens is a silent, non-verbal witness. In contrast, the Bible gives us the very words of God, dynamically transforming words. 
Nonverbal communication can convey information, but it lacks precision and specificity, and thus it is very easily misunderstood. A third reason special revelation is greater than general revelation is that although the scriptures are perfect and pure, the current creation is imperfect and impure because it is under God's curse. Of course, even in its current state, creation remains a legitimate mode of revelation. However, it must be subject to and interpreted in light of the authoritative scriptures. As one scholar put it, the world of the Lord is imperfect in its bondage to the curse, thus condemning the souls of men. But the word of the Lord is perfect, converting their souls. What natural revelation only promises, written revelation accomplishes. So it's important to understand that the general revelation of creation, while an important witness to the Creator, can never be a substitute for special revelation, and it should never be considered on the same level as the special revelation of the Scriptures. Because as mentioned in the segment, general revelation is subjective, meaning that different people will draw different conclusions. And the creation is currently under the curse, and as such is imperfect. It's broken. But the Word of God is perfect and pure. That's why this idea going around that nature should be considered the 67th book of the Bible is really, really dangerous. Because it ultimately puts man's subjective observations of nature on the same authoritative level as the objective Word of God. In other words, it puts man's opinions at the same level as the facts given to us by God in His Word. This isn't right. Instead, creation should play a ministerial role while scripture is kept in a magisterial role. The, the natural world must be viewed through the authoritative lens of the Bible. I think it's important to remember that the world is a sinful world too. So the natural, what I call the natural revelation is flawed because it's under the influence of sin. And that becomes very important to recognize. Now the Bible is communicating to us and the communication is from out of this world. That's right. So exactly. it's very unique, yeah. very different. And we, we, we don't get into this. We'll get to Janice. We'll get to another time. Okay. Well, that's all right. I was, I was just going to say that alone. Jesus Christ is the revelation from the heavens as well. Mm. And he comes into this world and changes things around. His revelation is key. For sure. And John chapter one says the by he was in the word and the word was with God and so on. So anyway, all right, Janice. Yes, well, taking a look at Psalm 20, I titled my segment today, Deliverance. We're looking at the assurance of God's saving work in Psalm 20. Uh, Holman version titles it Deliverance in Battle. And of course, you know, in David's time, this, this actually was written more from a military standpoint. Uh, and we see down at the end, some trust in chariots and some in horses. David says, uh, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. We know on this side of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6, that the spiritual battle that is, is just that. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood anymore. We don't come to battle um, in that way, the way David had to, and make those confrontations. Of course, we still do have wars and battles. We know from James that that comes from inside of our own human hearts and our own wants and desires. But here um, we understand in Ephesians 6 that the spiritual battle does rage on and that the spiritual battle belongs to the Lord. And we're given instructions um, as followers of Christ what to do in those situations. 
But here I want to take a look at this section here. May he grant you, meaning God, uh, may he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Now, if I just took that out of context, which we talk about on this program a lot, when you just take something out of context, you can really change the dynamics. You can really change the meaning to make it suit what you want. And so let's just take a look at this. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Now, this word purpose here refers to counsel or plans such as military advice. And let's get something straight here as well. God's purposes and and our desires as his people need to be the same. Let me say that again. God's purposes and the desires that we have as his people should be the same. So as we come into alignment with God, as we allow our lives to to follow in line with him, we don't, as you often say, Rod, when you begin your teaching and when you're praying, uh, before you begin to teach, that we align our hearts with God's word. We don't come to it seeing how we can change it to fit into our lives, but how we can be moldable and pliable, which is what a Christ follower is, what a Christian is. We have given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow his example and his ways, not to come to it and change things and rearrange it to fit into our schedule, but to follow after God. So it's very important that we not read this and say, oh, well, you know, he's going to grant me all of my heart's desires. And, and David saying, and fulfill all of our purposes, that would be great. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that our hearts are aligned with God's. That our first thought is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength. When we do that, when we make ourselves available, when we make our hearts and our thoughts available to God to mold that into what he has told us to do and how we follow him, then all of a sudden, our hearts begin to change. The way we think begins to change. And our desires then become the Lord's desires because what he purposes for us, the things that he has called us to do, and sometimes they're difficult to do those things, but then God begins to change our hearts and he helps us. And he actually gives us the tools and already has given us the tools to be able to do that. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's exactly what that means. Very good. I have an application on my phone. It's Bible Discovery TV, and I have all of the programs for the past year on that. I can watch them whenever I want. You can get it too, and it's free. You simply go to your store and search Bible Discovery TV. Android, iPhone, doesn't matter. It's there. We made sure it's there, and so that's how you can get it on your phone. Get it today. Let's pray and say, Lord, today I trust in your powerful and sacred name, the name of Jesus the Christ. 